The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Uh, tonight I'm going to talk a little about investigation. And um, in uh, Insight Meditation, mindfulness and uh, investigation are considered equal partners. Um, Mindfulness can be defined simply as being present for what's here. Investigation is looking closely at the details of our experience. Uh, for instance, uh, you know, make a fist in, right now, okay? Um, you're all mindful right now that you're making a fist. You know, you know you're doing it, right? Okay, now really look at your hand. Notice, you know, notice the creases, notice the knuckles. Notice the, how the colors vary. And I just feel it from the inside. Do you feel like warmth? Any tingling? Do you feel your fingernails pressing? Those aspects, that's investigation. We're investigating our experience of the hand. Mindfulness is just the part, yep, I'm making a fist. Investigation is really looking deeply at our experience. Now, the interesting thing, um, one other thing that makes investigation very, very useful is, are any of you digging in and leaving little marks, you know, from your fingernails? Um, investigation lets you decide what's good for you, what's skillful, what's helpful, and what's not skillful. It lets you see clearly enough so you can make choices that are helpful for yourself. So in the same way that you know how hard to make a fist, you're not going to make it so hard that your hand starts cramping. Um, you're not going to make it so loose that it doesn't even look like a fist. So you kind of, uh, you know, are able to see what's what's the right balance here, what's the right effort. And this comes into play in our meditation and it comes into play in every aspect of our life. The clearer we see a situation, the more we can kind of, you know, uh, look at different aspects of things, the easier it is to make the natural choice that's the most helpful. Um, So there are two aspects to investigation. The first aspect is to see clearly the subtlety of experience, the details of the moment. You feel the, like when you're meditating, you might feel the cool air entering the nostril. You may feel the little tingling sensations, a little pressure, the warm air leaving it. That's, we're investigating the breath. Uh, you can kind of stay a little more aloof and you just kind of know you're breathing. But investigation brings us right to that point. Uh, discernment is the other aspect of investigation. And that's where we start noticing the difference between things. Um, the main question that we use in mindfulness meditation is, what is this? But it's a question that we use without looking for an answer. It's, we're always saying, what is this like? What is this experience? Um, it's not an evaluation, you know, what is this? So this is, you know, you, you might recognize, oh, this is tingling, but it's not important that you recognize this tingling. It's important that you feel it, that you actually notice what's really happening in, you, in your body right now. And where choice comes in, for instance, uh, let's say you're meditating and you're watching your breath, and this sweet little fantasy enters your mind, you know, and you just, you know, you just want to, oh, that's, you know, it'd be really nice to kind of daydream for a while. It's a lot less effort, and I can you know, think about this little vacation, you know, in Hawaii or you know, sitting on the beach. And, you know, that's where investigation comes in. You know, is this something that's helpful to me to, to, to run away in this fantasy? Is this really something that's helpful? And as we look at the experience, we can feel that pool of desire, but we can also stay really clear. Oh, we're actually trying to do a mindfulness meditation. So, no, that's not a helpful thing. It's not there's anything wrong with a fantasy, but it's not what we're trying to do. So the qualities of investigation, when we first sit down to meditate, the mind is often just kind of running around doing its own thing. You know, we might notice one or two breaths and away it goes again. Um, so it takes a little bit of a quieting, of a stilling of the mind to actually be able to see clearly what's going on. And um, investigation is what actually comes naturally 
when the mind is relaxed. So when the mind isn't relaxed, which a lot of times it's not, we have to apply a little more effort. So, you know, if the mind's running around really fast, you know, since you have to really kind of pull it back to the breath, you know, just kind of uh, bring a little bit of extra energy. Okay, I'm going to keep it there. And as you keep the mind on the breath, it naturally relaxes you. It naturally steadies and stills the mind. Um, one of the things that um, really makes clear the natural the naturalness of investigation, you know, some t- it's a little bit of an unfortunate word. You know, a lot of people think about, oh, this is an investigation and find out who did it. You know, that's usually the the um, you know association a lot of us have. So we're kind of, well, I'm going to investigate and find something, you know. And um, but it's a little bit better to think of it as um, you go to the beach, you know, and it's a beautiful sunset and uh, you just go out there and you feel the warmth of the sun and you see this beautiful purples and golds and and the the ocean is shimmering and you're noticing all of it it's all right there you're you're not you know going okay what color is that and how many lines are there you know it just kind of happens naturally and that's the quality that that we eventually hope to bring to mind in our meditation, but really to every aspect of our lives. This interest, this awe, this this energy that makes makes our lives a lot more vital. Ajahn Sumedho, this is he he describes investigation, and I love this, as affectionate curiosity. And I, to me, that really brings in all the qualities that I want to have in my mind when I'm looking at my own experience. So if in my mind, um, you know, what's happening is, um, let's say I'm running a story in my mind where I'm kind of feeling sorry for myself, you know, it's kind of sad, I'm feeling sorry for my, you know. So I might, and I become mindful of that. So I bring to it this affectionate curiosity as if you're watching a young child who's, you know, wiping their eyes, feeling sorry for themselves. You know, you're, you're kind of, you know, give them a lot of attention because uh, they need attention. And you, you're, it's affectionate, it's warm, it's intimate, it's close. Uh, so that's the quality that we can bring to any of the experiences that we have in our meditation. When we're doing mindfulness practice, well, we, we want to really beware of the wanting of results. The moment that we want something to happen, we stop investigating. Um, it's just like a scientist, you know, they may have a, um, you know, uh, a theory they want to, uh, they want to test, uh, but you have to be open to whatever happens to really be able to to set up a proper test. If you know what's going to happen, you know, uh, you're not going to really set it up in a way that's um, going to be scientific. And the same way, if you want something to happen, it gets in the way of looking at what's really there. If a leaf blower kicks in during meditation, what do we do? How many of you um, can tune out a leaf blower pretty easily if it's right outside your window? Okay, so not all that easy. Okay, so um, so with investigation, we can investigate the sound. What is that sound really like? You know, it's you know it's and actually really listen for it. What happens to me when I listen to it? I listen to it and I go, boy, that's really unpleasant. That's a very unpleasant sound. And if I stay really, really close to, to being aware of that unpleasantness, I don't react. And then I can just keep paying attention, paying attention. But if I don't pay really close attention, my mind immediately, go, immediately contracts into that horrible sound. And uh, they shouldn't allow that, you know, this early in the morning. And, you know, whatever stories I might go in. But basically, my mind can darken, can contract, because I didn't really stay with the fact that there it is. It's just an unpleasant experience we're having. The leaf blower is going to be there no matter what, right? So can we just be with it and let it be? 
and explore how it is. But if we contract, if we do contract and we do get all angry and uptight, you know, that becomes what's relevant. In fact, that's a lot bigger than the leaf blower. Now that becomes the, the, the big thing to pay attention to. So how do we pay attention to this, this anger, resentment about the leaf blower? How do we, what do we do with that? You know, you, you, you force yourself back to the breath, but you're now in this really bad mood. And, okay, maybe if I focus on the breath hard enough, you know, all that will go away. But that's, you know, that doesn't work. That is, that's not helpful. There's no affection and curiosity there, right? So you bring that attitude of, okay, so what is this experience of being angry, resentful? What is it like right now? Again, we're not looking for discursive ideas. We're looking at how do you, how does it feel in the body to be angry like this? How does it feel in, uh, you know, when you're resentful, when you're angry, are you tight in the abdomen, in the chest, in the face? And what kind, what does the emotion of being angry feel like? How does that feel in the heart? And how does it feel in the mind? What are the things that my mind is saying about this situation? What do I believe about the situation? I'm saying it shouldn't be this way. You know, in fact, most of my suffering around the leaf blower is coming from the fact that my mind might be saying this shouldn't be happening right now. And this is ruining my meditation. That's another one, another belief that comes up. So if I bring my mindfulness to those thoughts that I'm having and really see them for what they are, their beliefs, you know, this is what's happening. There's a leaf blower going on. It has nothing to do whether it should be this way or not. This is what's happening right at this moment. And so that, that thought that I'm holding on to can just dissolve. It just kind of goes away. Oh, yeah, that's just a belief I have. It's not really true. And same thing with, um, you know, it's ruining my meditation. My meditation, it doesn't matter what we pay attention to. It's one of the things that, that's really beautiful about mindfulness practice. Um, in fact, there's, um, I don't know if any of you, have any of you read Jack Kornfield's book about the 10 meditation masters in Asia? Um, it's an old book. Yeah, it's a, it's a compilation. Yeah, it's something he wrote way back, you know, maybe 25 years ago. Um, but it's about uh, the different methods that these 10 different teachers use in practicing meditation. And the one that really struck me was this one teacher who has you pay attention to the tip of your thumb. That's your object of meditation, your thumb. I mean, it's kind of, to me, you know, it's just like kind of the most unnatural spot to pay attention. It's so asymmetrical. <laughs> uh, but, um, uh, but it doesn't really matter. What matters is the quality of the mind that pays attention. Sometimes we're so focused, oh, yeah, I want to stay on that breath, I want to stay on that breath, that we forget that it's the quality of the mind that we're, that, that we're meditating for. We're meditating for a mind that's light, that's attentive, that's vital, and that it doesn't really matter whether we're paying attention to the breath or we're paying attention to a pain in the knee or we're paying attention to an emotion. It's a mind that's interested and, and, and that sees clearly. That's what Vipassana is, is the ability to see clearly. One of the things that, gets, that really gets in the way of investigation is making assumptions, assuming that we already know what this is. Have any of you ever met someone, you know, and you go, oh, yeah, I know that person. They're, they're always this way. You know, where we kind of assume they're always this way or, or even about ourselves, you know. Oh, I'm a shy person. I'm always shy when I go to a party. I'm this way. Um, and we can do that. Oh, I'm not good at, um, I'm not good at math or I'm not good at this or, um, you know, there's all these ideas we have uh, about ourselves. We make these assumptions. But we also make these assumptions about a lot of everyday things. Like, um, oh, I already know what paper feels like. I know what paper feels like, so I don't have to pay attention to the actual experience of it anymore. In fact, um, I really know what chocolate cake tastes like. I don't have to pay attention to how it tastes, right? Um, so that's um, when we assume that we know what an experience is, we don't open to it because uh, we, in our minds, we already, you know, we, we, are, we already think we know. And um, our life, 
occurs not from knowing about stuff, but from being intimate with stuff. I mean, most people would say, um, you know, maybe you've had sex once. I already know what sex is like. You know, no, you want to be there for it, right? You know, so you want to experience it. It's in that same way, you know, um, we do that with so much stuff. How many meals have we had that we don't taste our food because we're so busy thinking about something else? Uh, how much of the time are we walking in this beautiful weather and not even noticing, you know, noticing the wind, noticing the sun? How much of our life are we missing because we're just in our heads thinking and planning about something that's, that we're never going to be present for anyways? So, um, and that's what happens when we assume we know or experience. Assuming that we don't know allows us to investigate. It leaves an enormous space in which we can learn, and we, in, a, in a very nonverbal level. This is what is meant by a beginner's mind. So you meet someone, and regardless of, of, of anything, you just start over. This is a brand new person. And that's a beginner's mind. And Suzuki Roshi, a lot of you have heard this. Uh, in the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities. But in the expert, expert's mind, there are few. And um, it doesn't mean we don't use what we know. You know, of course, we, we have a lot of things we know about people. You know, we're doing a project with someone. We want to do the project with someone that has the skills. So, um, you know, we use what we know, but we still can meet the situation, the person newly. If you've played a piece of music a hundred times, you know, your hands can know what they're doing and it can sound kind of okay. But if your mind is somewhere else, there's something missing. There's, there's, it's not great music. Um, you know, a really great musician can play the same thing over and over and over again and each time bring tremendous life to it. What's different but their presence, how present they are. One of the things that um, uh, was a gift to me from a teacher was um, I was on retreat. And, uh, you know, we do these uh, every, every couple of days we check in with a teacher and it's, consi- it's called a practice interview for those of you who haven't done that. And you kind of talk about what's going on in your meditation practice. But sometimes it gets very, very personal because a lot of things come up on retreat. And um, I remember, you know, saying some things about myself, you know. And, you know, there, you have this kind of limited period of time. And I hadn't, this person didn't know me much, you know. <laughs> and I kind of revealed all the stuff. And then, and then it kind of hung around in my head, you know. Oh, I really gave, gave him the wrong impression of myself, you know. And just kind of for a couple of days, you know, just kind of kept, you know, oh, what's he going to get it? Think of me and, you know, and, and, and I've got to correct it. I've just got to correct that impression, you know. And, um, so I, you know, came to the next interview with him and I told him how I, you know, what was going on and, and, of course, quickly try to correct the impression. And, uh, and he said, you know, when I, when I meet with a student, um, um, I always put the past behind. I always see the person so I've never met them before. And, um, and, you know, and the truth of it was, you know, he didn't just say that, but he really was there. And I could just really feel that. And I just, I just relaxed. You know, I realized what a gift it is to actually show up without all these ideas about how the person you're meeting with is. Uh, so that was a really, really beautiful gift for me. So why do we investigate? You know, in Buddhist practice, we investigate for one primary reason, uh, to free our minds from suffering from discontent, uh, to see deeply into our experience, to know in ourselves, not just intellectually, but in every fiber of our, of our being, the truth that if we cling to something, it causes suffering. And if we let go of that clinging, we can be free. And that's really the core of the reason what we're doing when we investigate. We don't have to be a victim to our minds, to what happens in our minds. In some ways, suffering is, is just a bunch of bad mental habits. 
That's all they are. That's all that causes most of the suffering that we human beings have are just bad mental habits. Um, we often forget that we can change, we can choose what thoughts we have just by changing the focus of our attention. Okay, and what I mean by that is, let's say we're, um, uh, we're going to work and we get out and, you know, we're, we're just on time, we've got an early meeting and we have a flat tire. And so in that moment, you know, disappointment, you know, and, um, you know, we do what's got to be done. We call AAA uh, to change the tire for us and this, because we're all dressed up. And, you know, we call at work and tell them we'll be late. And we, we go through all this functional stuff. Now, at, now, we might be focusing during that time on, oh, poor me, this happened to me. You know, and oh, what a drag this happened. Now I'm going to be late. It's going to set everything back. I'm going to be all behind. And oh, and all this happened to me. It's a bad day. Or we can look around and we see, God, it's this beautiful day. You know, blue sky. Um, you know, birds chirping. It's just this, you know, and I just have this time when it's hanging out outside instead of being inside all day. So, so, you know, it's just a change of focus. One is you're focusing on um, something that's in, that's already in, in play. There's nothing for you to do. Or you can focus on 95% of the rest of your experience, which is very different. It's just focus. And a lot of us are in the habit of mind of focusing on what's wrong. You know, this is what's wrong in my life. And, and if, I only, if only everything that's wrong in my life got fixed, then I'd be happy. And we function from that point of view instead of just kind of opening it up so it's a lot, so life's a lot bigger. But in, even in saying that, if how we can change our focus to either focus on the problem or focus on, on the rest of our experience, um, we want to get there without bypassing our difficulties. So, um, some, you know, some people have kind of the opposite reaction. They're always positive. You know, anybody meet somebody who's just like um, always cheerful, but yet that cheerfulness is not necessarily uh, completely genuine. There's something, you know, um, there's something missing. And sometimes people repress anything that's not positive. It's like for whatever survival reason they, they develop that, um, you know, the, they push back anything that's negative. You know, a lot of people in a family situation, they're not allowed to be negative. You know, so they always have to be cheery, always have to be positive. Um, and some of us have a mix of all of it. You know, sometimes we repress, sometimes, you know, we dwell. Um, so it's very important not to bypass our difficulties. There's a big difference between noticing our difficulties, looking at them carefully, watching them fade away and dissolve, as they will do, uh, than dwelling on them. So um, in meditation, for instance, one of the things that was very hard for me to learn, um, you know, I, for those of you who've heard me, I've mentioned this before, but I have a, a history of chronic pain since I was a child. And um, one of the things that happened with mindfulness practice, you know, we were, I was taught that you pay attention to what's most noticeable, right? You're watching the breath, but if something really gets your attention, you go there instead. But what happens when you have constant pain, your mind, the thing that's most noticeable is the pain. So what happened is that every meditation, my attention was constantly on the pain, and it made my mind really, really grim. And uh, it took me a while to learn that, um, you know, that it was a habit of mind that the pain was what was most noticeable. And I slowly started shifting to the other 99.9% of my experience so that that was not the primary thing I paid attention to. So if we're in the habit of always looking at what's wrong with us, that can often be the predominant thing we notice. Um, so in one way, it's important not to push away negative thoughts, not to reject our experience. But on the other hand, we don't want to dwell on something habitually over and over in an unhelpful way.
So the other thing is I wanted to talk about appropriate, appropriate attention. Um, in some ways, as I said, it doesn't matter what we investigate. What matters is the quality of the mind that's investigating, um, how we investigate. Uh, but sometimes people misunderstand and they don't pay enough attention to what's actually relevant. Um, if you're driving and there's an impending accident, you don't want to pay attention to how pretty the sky is, right? It's pretty obvious. And in the same way that I mentioned before with the leaf blower, um, if you're really angry about the leaf blower, you don't try to keep paying attention to the leaf blower. Pay attention to your anger. And that's often what, what we may be missing in meditation. Um, so it's very important to keep checking, are we exploring our minds with affectionate curiosity? I like to use that as my reference point. That very quickly lets me know if my effort in practice, if I'm not just, okay, I'm going to focus on my, on my breath, you know, and I'm really tight. Yeah, I'm not going to miss a single breath, you know. So affectionate curiosity, it's soft, it's warm, it's close, it's intimate. So, you know, if that word, phrase doesn't work for you, find something that, that can be a really easy reference point for what, what this clear, easy, relaxed effort feels like. So um, the, the next thing I wanted to talk about is um, how to investigate. A couple of things that have been helpful to me. The first thing is, is to balance it with concentration. Uh, for instance, um, when we concentrate, you know, concentration is what happens when you stand on an object. You stay in an object for a long time, your mind gets very steady, gets stable, and it gets calm. Now, if it gets too calm, we get what's called sinking mind, where you start getting kind of dreamy and, you know, it's kind of a soft, dreamy stage. You don't really know what's happening, but it sort of feels good. Or you kind of even kind of get, you're not quite asleep, but you just don't know where you are. I don't know, how, have any of you had that, that sinking mind, kind of a familiar, familiar experience? Um, so that's what happens when we don't investigate or, or experience, we just get calm. When we don't bring enough interest to the situation. Um, so, um, and then there's another aspect of, um, of our practice here is we want to investigate two things, our experience and any reaction we have to our experience. So that's the piece I keep bringing up about the leaf blower is our experience and the anger is our reaction to our experience. At every moment, we, we, there's two things going on in mindfulness. What's going on right now and how we're relating to it. I'm talking right now and how am I relating to my talking right now? You know, am I, am I at peace with it? Am I uh, tense with it? Am I, uh, how is the mind? So here you are listening. How are you, how are you listening? You know, here's your experience of the room. How are you relating to your experience in the room? So then the third thing I want to say about investigation here is, you know, we want to balance it with concentration. We want to be aware of any reactions we have to our experience. And the third thing is um, I want to give you some suggestions on how to work with difficult experience. And difficult experience includes like all the afflictive emotions, you know, anger, fear, uh, sadness, aversion, resistance, um, rage, any number of afflictive emotions and um, or any of the hindrances. I don't know if you all know what the hindrances are, but those are the uh, obstacles in meditation, which are, uh, you know, uh, greed or strong desire, uh, ill will or anger, restlessness, uh, sloth and torpor and doubt. So these are all states of the mind that keep the mind agitated. So um, a general rule that I like to use in relation to the afflictive emotions is if we're struggling, something is being left out of the equation. There's something we're not seeing. 
Can you, I don't know, can you relate to that? Something's being left out of our attention if we're struggling. Because if we start really paying attention to it, we stop struggling. Even if we have a very difficult emotion. As soon as we start really noticing what is this, uh, let's say we're experiencing hurt, you know, and, and we're feeling some deep emotional hurt in our hearts. Uh, and we start feeling it, what is this in my heart? And you start getting interested in our own experience. How does this really feel? What is this like? The struggle disappears. It may still hurt, but there isn't a lot of conflict around it. Um, so if you're struggling, you check in four areas. So the first area, let's take, um, let's take resentment against the leaf blower as an example. Um, so how does it feel in my body when I'm feeling this, you know, anger? You know, and, um, you know, where do some of you feel anger? If you, if you think about being angry, you know, anybody, where do you feel it? In your stomach? Anywhere else? Sometimes in the jaws, you know. It's like you want to yell at someone, you know. Sometimes people have that. Sometimes in the chest. Uh, so where are you feeling it right now? And not only where are you feeling it, that's not enough. How, are you, how does it feel? Really open to that experience. Now sometimes, just by going to the body, your mind just relaxes and you're able to just go back to your breath or back to a it's no longer a problem. But sometimes it's problematic still. It's still You're still struggling. Okay, you went to the body, you experienced it. So then you check, okay, how do I really feel about this? You know. So you may be feeling really angry, um, you know, but you may also be feeling like you shouldn't feel angry. You know, and you shouldn't feel this way. So you have an aversion to what you're feeling. So you really explore how do you actually emotionally feel so first your body, your heart, your emotions, and then in your mind, body, heart, and mind. You know, so if, if the difficulty hasn't, you haven't relaxed around it yet, then you look at the mind. What, are, what kind of thoughts are you having about this experience that are keeping it brewing? Um, you know, if you know, how many of you have ever noticed, you know, you got really something happened at work, you got really upset, and you're beginning to get relaxed about it and get used to it, and then you tell it to someone, and it starts all over again. You know, it's like, you know, you've just fed it with the same story over and over and over. And we do that with our own our minds, you know. So often, you know, uh, we're trying to be with the with the difficulty, and then we start paying attention to um, to the thoughts that are there, and the thoughts are what ke- are keeping this tension, this difficulty going. It shouldn't be this way. You know, I thought this shouldn't be this way. Um, those people are terrible people. All these whatever thoughts are brewing there. Um, and then the, the fourth thing, I said four things, so body, heart, and mind. And the fourth thing to look at is the, our motivation here. What is it we're wanting here? What are we wanting or not wanting? We're wanting noise to stop that might be one thing we're wanting and so we're and how does it feel to be wanting that noise to stop and it's not stopping how does that feel that's a whole other emotion in itself so you may be having the anger but you're also having this this wanting this thing to be different than it is and by bringing our attention to it we give it a lot more room So I'd like you to try this with me for a moment. Um, now, what we're going to do, we're going to do this relatively quickly. So, uh, so um, you're going to bring to mind anything difficult in your life. It, it, don't make it huge. Make, you know, don't make it like um, uh, the worst thing in your life, you know, but make it something, you know, an argument with someone, a difficult person. Or right now, if you're feeling a little uncomfortable, you know, something's hurting, um, you know, something at work, a, a project, a problem, something that's got some negative, difficult emotions around it. So, um, so go ahead and, uh, you know, bring it to mind. And then just close your eyes.
Just think about the situation. And once you make it real for you, notice do you have any feelings in your body from it. It's an emotion or a struggle. And if you have feelings in your body, what, what do they feel like? Are they changing, staying the same? Do you have any emotions around it about the situation? And do you have any beliefs about it? Do you have any ideas about it? That this person should be doing something different, that you shouldn't be this way. And is there something you want? Either something you want or something you want you don't want in the, in the situation. And how does that wanting feel? How does it feel to want something to be different? I know that was really quick. (laughs) How many of you were able to connect with something? Right. And how was that? Were you able to go through the process? Were there any parts that were hard to connect with in particular? Um, The emotion didn't really come up. It's more of a felt sense, a physical discomfort. Can you really conjure up an emotion behind Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's fine. You know, I wanted you to have a taste of these four aspects. Um, They don't all necessarily have to come up, and you don't necessarily have to use all four of them. But the reason I brought them up is because often when we have something strong, we kind of feel like it's big and it's stuck. And it helps to systematically go through it to the body, to the heart. So you have a systematic way of approaching it. Because if it's too big, it's like, it, it, it feels overwhelming sometimes. So, um, you know, the way Shinzen Young says, he says, divide and conquer. You know, when, when you have something difficult, you know, you take it in little pieces. So we start in the body. Usually that's kind of an easier place to start with. Um, and sometimes, you know, just at any piece of it, you know, it can dissolve, you know, and I've, I've had it dissolve many times, you know, sometimes you just bring it to the attention, it dissolves, and sometimes you go through it all, and it's still, there's some lingering stuff, and that's okay, too, however it works, but this is just a, a kind of a systematic way of bringing your attention to something when you're stuck, when it's big, when it's difficult. You know, one of the things that investigation does, you know, it can bring us to different types of insights. And, um, you know, for instance, once on retreat, you know, it was really, um, you know, I was, you know, kind of pretty much, after, after usually in a retreat, after a couple of days, your mind's pretty stable, you're staying on the breath, you're pretty, pretty calm. But I noticed that there was this kind of, uh, mood in my mind that was just a little bit down, you know, and I was like, you know, kind of stable, but it, my my mood was a little bit off, and I started looking a lot more carefully, and what I noticed was that every time that my mind got distracted from the breath, when I brought it back, I'd have a moment of feeling like I had failed, that my mind Every time that my mind got distracted, I'd have this, oh, I blew it. Oh, I blew it. And But I was rushing back to the breath so quickly, I kept missing that. But it was still affecting me. The unseen can really affect us. And that was, 
you know, so as I started to see it, I saw it every time. And actually I was shocked that it was every time I spaced out, I felt like a failure. And I had been meditating for a while, you know, and uh, and I actually had heard someone talk about this once before. And I said, oh, no, I don't do that. <laughs> and um, so once I saw it, it became so clear, you know, and I said, there I go again, failing again, failing, you know, until it became funny. And then once it became funny, it started loosing its grip and, and then eventually I just stopped doing it. Um, but that's really kind of the magic of really paying careful attention. Um, another level of investigation is our personal stories, you know, and a lot of us have these personal patterns we have where we, um, you know, we worry about something over and over and over and over again. And so by paying, investigating uh, all our repetitive thoughts, um, we can really begin to see, you know, God, I worry all the time or, or you know, uh, like one of the things that used to happen to me all the time in meditation, I would be planning. You know, the moment my mind relaxed, I'd just start planning something else and planning again, you know. And it, you know, it was shocking to me how much I planned and in meditation and outside meditation. Uh, so, you know, it was a great insight, you know, and over time that planning, you know, muscle got, you know, I, I got relaxed. <laughs> Um, so those are some of the things that happen with the, the type of insights that can happen with meditate with investigation, but but really the it can go a lot deeper than that, and it can bring us to not just our personal stories, but the sto- what's really underneath that we share. We're all human beings, and that's the truth that our experience is impermanent. That everything that happens to us comes and goes. There's nothing to hold on to. And that all our experience, every, everything we have is essentially unsatisfying. That nothing is going to give us lasting happiness. Nothing that we feel, we experience with our bodies, our minds is ever going to last. And that common human experience, um, you know, when we see through it very, very deeply. And really, I mean, at first it feels kind of painful. You know, God, nothing's going to last, nothing. But it's actually very freeing because we stop trying to get it. You know, we stop trying to get happy by, if I only do this, if I finally get the right job, if I finally get the right partner, if I finally get this, if I finally, 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 you know. So we stop chasing it because we really see that no matter what it is, it isn't going to last. No matter what it is, it's not going to satisfy. It's not going to stay. It doesn't mean that we can't enjoy thoroughly this impermanent universe, this impermanent world, these uh, ephemeral relationships. But it means that, that we really see that we can't cling to them, that we can't hold on to them. And that's really the, deep, the deeper levels of investigation. We can all understand these intellectually. I mean, everybody knows we're all going to die, right? I mean, most of us know that, right? Um, and so it's intellectual. There's an intellect, but you know, there, there's even though intellectually we know that we really, really believe we're going to be alive a moment from now. We all believe that, you know. We're, we're uh, you know, so there's the intellectual understanding is not the deep very deep felt realization and that's where investigation takes us that's where our heart gets freed because we 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 really realize that very very deeply the more deeply we we get that the less we try to hold on to stuff the less we cause ourselves suffering um so i wanted to end with um with a poem um i don't know if any of you know the poet david white um that um It's one that I really love. So it's called The Opening of Eyes. The day I saw beneath dark clouds the passing light over the water. And I heard the voice of the world speak out. I knew then, as I have before, life is no passing memory of what has been. 
nor the remaining pages in a great book waiting to be read. It's the opening of eyes long closed. It's the vision of far-off things seen for the silence they hold. It's in the heart after years of secret conversing, speaking out loud in the clear air. It's Moses in the desert, fallen to his knees before the lit bush. It's the man throwing away his shoes as if to enter heaven and finding himself astonished, opened at last, fallen in love with solid ground. So thank you. If anyone has any questions or comments, either about um, the topic or uh, anything about your practice, I'd be happy to respond. What were the four qualities that you had mentioned as part of that guided meditation and looking at the body and the emotions? The body, the emotions, the mind, and the motivation. What is it? What is it we're wanting? Thank you. You're welcome. The thoughts. The thoughts we have about something. Um, the um, mental attitude. Uh, you know, such as whether, for instance, let's say we're having um, uh, a difficult personal life. You know, and and you know, feeling. Um, uh, anger at this difficult person, you know. And um, so, you know, I felt in the body, it's very clear how in the body I'm tense, you know. And then, yep, this is anger, you know. And then the mind can be, the attitude in the mind can be, you know, a resistance to this person, like, an, you know, uh, a quality of your resistance of aversion. Uh, it could be this person should not be this way. You know, this person just should not be this way. Or it could be, I shouldn't feel this way towards this person. And, you know, uh, so you may have any beliefs we have about the situation. And often it's a belief that, that keeps feeding the cycle. Um, yes? It seems in that list of four, the fourth one seems not in the same category. Motivation seems like off to the side, or maybe it's the umbrella. Well, it's kind of the umbrella because it's it's really motivation. Um, I don't know if that's the best word for it, um, but it's really where intentions come in. This is really um, where, um, you know, what are we wanting here? Because often, okay, let's say... You know, I've got this relative, right? This this difficult relative. And, you know, I've run through the thing, you know, and I, you know, and I know how I'm feeling and I've got this idea he shouldn't be this way. That's my belief. He shouldn't be this way. What am I wanting here? Now, that really changes it around for me. Because what I'm wanting here is I want him to like me. Uh, and I want, uh, that may be one of the things I want, or I want, I want to be right. That may be the thing that I want, you know, and so it really, it really brings a lot of light often when you ask the question, what am I wanting here? How do you investigate that? How do you investigate, um, I want to be right? I can feel it usually. <laughs> it's, it's, it usually doesn't, I don't have to dig deep. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's become easier and easier to see for me, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's like have you ever had an argument, you know, where you just want to be the one that that that's right. You don't, you know, you forget that there's another human being there. You forget there's another person that they're your friend. You know, you just want to be right. You know, and that's what's you know feeding the whole thing. Um, did any anybody here notice motivation? Did any, with when you did that little short practice? I know it's really short. I, I apologize for doing it so short, but I just uh, but hopefully you can practice with it when you need it. Um, 
But there's a lot of motivations that can, that can come up. You know, what am I wanting here? You know, um, and sometimes it's very clear what it is we're wanting here. You know, uh, I may be wanting my, you know, for instance, you know, back to the leaf blower. You know, and by, by the way, the reason I keep using that analogy <laughs> is that I was on a retreat where I went for, this was like my big retreat. I just, you know, I'd look forward to it forever and ever. And, and so I went back east and, and every day during the retreat, they were jackhammering right outside our window. And, um, I mean, this is like seriously, what, six hours a day, you know, of jackhammering at least. Um, so, you know, there's some hours without jackhammering. And, um, and then when they weren't jackhammering, they'd be clearing out the stones and be this diesel truck coming in with the fumes coming into the meditation hall. Um, what was really interesting is during this period of jackhammer, diesel fuel, uh, I had probably the most wonderful, long-lasting periods of utter joy in my life, you know, and and so that was really, it, you know, to me, you know, that's why I keep bringing it up, because it was such a teacher. Now, it didn't start out that way the first time I heard the jackhammer. <laughs> the first time I heard the jackhammer, I was really pissed, you know, I was really, you know, how could they have a retreat, you know, and have a jackhammer out here? You know, they lied to us. They cheated us. You know, I you know, went through all this stuff. Um, but, um, but that's the really wonderful thing about this practice is we fold everything in. And when we allow everything into our lives that's there anyways uh, and we accept it, we can really come to peace with our lives. We can really come to a joy in our lives. Um, yes. So, what, what was your motivation in speaking to the family? Thank you for remembering that. <laughs> what was your motivation in feeling resentment against the uh, the jackhammer and the diesel fumes, um, and feeling that you had been cheated? Um, what did I want? I wanted it to be. I wanted things to be different. You know, I wanted um, I wanted to stop, and I wanted to have a good meditation. I wanted to have a perfect meditation. That's what I wanted. And so what I did with that, once I looked at what it was I wanted, then I went to, how does that feel in my body? And that wanting was a different experience than the anger at the jackhammer. You know, God, I really want this. You know, I, I came all the way over here. I really want it. I'm not getting what I want. You know, and I really experienced the suffering I got from that wanting. Um, and, and that's where the release started to come when I really connected with how much suffering I was having from wanting it to be different than it was. So, anything else? Any other? Great. Well, thank you all, and have a wonderful evening.